0: Welcome to the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Fay. I started the Not A Mommy Yet blog and this podcast because I've always known I want to be a parent one day, and you might be listening because you feel the same. You may have also heard people with kids say things like, I wish I had known this before I had kids, or I wish I had done that. Hearing those comments made me think about the parts of my life I want to spend more time focusing on before I have kids in ways that will benefit me as a parent. So I started a list of people who can teach me about health, money, relationships, psychology, and more, and started interviewing them. And this podcast was born. Whether you plan to have kids or not, I think you'll find something interesting in this podcast for you. I hope you enjoy, subscribe, and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. Well, thank you, Lena, for being here. Thanks for having me. not a mommy at podcast. Um... So I did an intro to you, but I would first love to talk about, you know, how you got it to where you are now as the CFO of Tender Greens and kind of like that career path. So in terms of anything in your adolescence, did, was there like something that indicated like the direction you were going to take? <laughs>
1: that, that's a great question. Um, no, there wasn't. Um, I would say I remember when I was a kid just being the boss of everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's always, like, the dynamic totally. socially. And I was always the one that was, like, in charge of all my friends. <laughs> Me too. And I remember saying um, out loud, like, I'm going to be the CEO one day. You know, like, whatever the kids say. Like, maybe that was later on.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but then I kind of had a few years in high school. I think, like, many people were. I had absolutely no direction. I wasn't focused on school. I didn't see the point of it all. And mm-hmm. I just, like, everything kind of went a little bit downhill. So I wasn't one of those you know, I would say prepared kids who like went to the right elementary school, went to the right high school, was prepared to go to the right college. Like I didn't have a traditional path. So Mm -hmm. I didn't even like really envision a career to be perfectly honest. yeah, It wasn't until um, my sophomore year in college, I did a study abroad program at, uh, with UCLA with a friend of mine. And I met all these people that were cool and ambitious. And in my mind, like I didn't think that you could be both. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to be like them. Like that's, that's amazing. Like like, I like them. They're cool. And they're going to do big things in the world. Like that's great. I want to do that. (laughs) Um, which kind of changed my perspective on my studies. I got more involved in school. I started focusing more on getting good grades. I mean, at that point I was in college, so it didn't really matter, but it it just, I think changed my work ethic and kind of made me feel like there's value towards Mm. value in working hard towards something. Um, and then when I graduated still, when I graduated from college, I didn't know what I was going to do. I worked with my mom at the restaurant for a couple of years. I um, realized I didn't want to do that. I applied to business school, was fortunate to get to Cornell. And then even after that, I mean, because I was super young in business school, I graduated when I was 26 from business school, which is, you don't really have a whole lot of perspective, I yeah. would say. Um I followed my boyfriend to San Francisco cause that's where he was. And I got, you know, a great job, but it wasn't like something I was super passionate about. And at that point I was 26, we were about to get engaged and I was like, great, I'm going to get engaged. I'm going to have babies. I'm going to be a stay at home. Like that was my, my mindset. Like I wasn't like, okay, I'm going to be this like super career woman. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we got engaged, we got married. I was had Lucas when I was 30, which I'm sure we'll cover later. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I had a pretty cushy job, you know, for five years while I was raising my kids. I was super lucky. It was, very flexible. I was doing consulting. So I had clients, I would see my clients, but I got to work from home. So it was like, I was so lucky to be able to be present in those first kind of formative years of my kids' lives. Mm -hmm. Um, for the first year Lucas was born, I stayed home with him for a year. Then we got a nanny. I went home part time and then, you know, I just, I would work and then I would meet them at like, you know, mommy and me music class with our nanny and our nanny was there. And again, like this is like, first class problems, but I was, I was fortunate enough to have that opportunity. Yeah. And it wasn't until, um, until I met the founders of tender greens where I was like, I want to get involved with something like bigger. That's going to kind of, at least in my perception, take over the world. Mm -hmm. So I I came home and I uh, told Steve, I was like, I'm going to work for tender greens one day. And he's like, he's like, why you have all these clients, you have this great quality of life. You Mm -hmm. make good money. I was like, no, like I need, I need to be part of this. Um, and I think for whatever reason, I guess I was just waiting for something to come along that was worth it for me. Yeah. Something that it's always like, a a trigger kind of like that Europe trip was a trigger for me. Like, mm-hmm. Oh wait, I want to behave differently. Like seeing this opportunity to get involved in 10 degrees was like, wait a minute, it kind of just sparked the like right. entre- entrepreneurial nature. And I have a friend um, who also has a podcast in New York, Aaron, Aaron Patinkin, who coined the term intrapreneur. Like I didn't find, found the company, but I was involved early enough where I essentially was an entrepreneur in, right. in the growth of the brand. Um, and at that point, as soon as I decided I want to work for them, I like came to the founders. I was like, great. So you have four locations, you're growing as soon as you're ready to um, hire someone, you should hire me and they took the bait really quickly and i'd say within 6 months they hired me as the first corporate employee and yeah. you know at that point i wasn't i didn't really care what i was doing I was like, I just want to be part of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. they did hire me to start building the infrastructure of the finance and accounting department, something I'd never done before, but I told them that I could. And I think that's, I think that's the point is like women often feel like they have to have done something in order to say they can do it. And I think every step along the way, I was like, well, I'll figure it out. I mean, it's not brain surgery. No, I haven't done it. And I think that mindset is probably the, the most important mindset that's gotten me to where I am because every year I do something that I've never done before and I was fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to do it and I recognized that yeah I was like if I get involved with this growth brand I'm gonna get opportunities that I can't get if I go into a big company and I have to go through the you know corporate training process like that didn't appeal to me and I had worked for Mary and I worked for big corporations and I realized how like insignificant one can be in a big corporation and that like didn't resonate with me totally which is why like when I saw this I was like I can make decisions and like make a huge impact. Like that, that to me is like everything. I I can like make an impact here. Done.
0: I think you hold those decisions a little bit higher too, right? Like when you're, when you have that much of an impact and that's kind of been like a, a pattern I've seen when I've talked to friends too, who have joined smaller companies, but have grown so much in like the five, six years since they've graduated without even needing to go to a master's program because the experience that they've gotten where they wear so many hats and they have this like great mentor who's like the founder of the company who has all that experience already. Right. It's like invaluable to have that experience on the ground.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can't, um, I like to tell like you can't shortcut any of these things, right. right? You can't like, you have to go through the experiences and and people like I've been with tender greens six and a half years officially and almost eight years since I started consulting for them. Mm. And you know, it's a long time to stay at a job. It's not typical these days, but I've had like 10 jobs in my one job there. Mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of growth that I've experienced both personally and the amount of growth the company's experienced, like I couldn't have experienced that moving around job to job. Totally. And, um, like that's, I think what keeps me there is every day, the company's bigger than the day before the challenges are different. I get to experience you know the nuance of operating a bigger company and, and it shifts right it, it wasn't it's not the way that it used to be right of course and that's you know great and that and I'm always I'm always learning right it's always like all right so now we have to behave this way and that's different <laughs> okay we got to pivot and I mean it kind of always challenges you to find new solutions to almost old problems because you can't solve them the same way yeah besides the, the company's different right and, of course. um which it makes it fun for me
0: Totally. Yeah. Like the pivoting aspect too is so important to have that flexibility, which I feel like a lot of startups sometimes forget is necessary in order to succeed. So that's good that they have someone like you who
1: totally understand. Well, that. And, and I think, you know, not being a founder, um, the most successful founders hire people that challenge them, mm-hmm. right? Hire people who, um, and one of our founders will say is like, you know, I took it to a certain point that I brought lean in who, you know, could take it to a certain point and they're, they're, parts of my job that I used to do that I hire people to do that are better than I ever was at it. Mm -hmm. Right. And and it kind of continues and you develop people along the way because you keep hiring experts. And what's fun for me right now is I oversee, you know, four different departments, half of which I don't have any expertise in. Right. Right. Like I oversee development. I oversee supply chain. Like I'm not a supply chain expert. I'm not a development expert, but I get to see how all of the, you know, different pieces fit into the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Right. So like what's fun about my job is like I joke that I uh, I put all the pieces – I make sure the puzzle pieces fit. Everybody's kind of working in their own silo and, like, being really good at what they do. Yeah. And I'm making sure that it all fits. Uh, it doesn't fit okay. We have to pull this lever. We have to pull that lever. Um, and I love that kind of, kind of higher-level problem-solving.
0: Yeah. So going back a little bit, so you were in San Francisco when you got pregnant, correct? I was. (laughs)
1: Yes. I love San Francisco. I know.
0: I was just there. It's the best. Um, So when you were pregnant there, you moved to LA, right?
1: Um, So I moved to LA when I was 33 weeks pregnant with Lucas.
0: God, that's
1: Not ideal. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it just kind of worked out that way that... We wanted to move back to LA Mm -hmm. and we were trying to figure out do we get new jobs? We moved with the same jobs and we we were again super fortunate that we were able to move to LA with the same companies. Yeah. Um Steve's company opened an LA office for him and my company had at the time had just opened an LA office, so it made the timing just it just worked. Yeah. Um but you know, I really wanted to deliver Lucas in San Francisco. (laughs) I was really um I would say a little disappointed that the timing didn't work out a little bit yeah. later, um, and I think we talked a little bit about this. Um, you know, Steve and I were both super aligned on wanting to have a natural childbirth, and mm-hmm. Lucas is ten, so I'd say back then it still was a little bit. Um...
0: That's amazing. why so, so I
1: mean, pe- people didn't embrace the idea. Like, I would get comments like, "Well, why? Why would you want to suffer? Why yeah. do you want to do that?" Um, And I would get, I would say not natural so much as like unmedicated. Right. 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 Um, And so, you know, in San Francisco is very mainstream and what triggered it is we had saw, we'd seen this documentary. I think we talked about the business of being born in the theater. It just came out and I was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe this happens. Like, absolutely not. If I can control my experience and not have all these needles and tubes. And I was like, I don't want any of that. Like, that's totally. not, <clears throat> it's not how it's supposed to be. Right. Um, so we put a lot of effort into preparing ourselves for the birth. And you know, what's funny is we put zero effort into thinking about well, what kind of parents are we going to be once we have the kids. It was very <laughs> focused on like having an un-medi- unmedicated birth. Like yeah. that was like a hundred percent our focus. So we, um, we joined a group. There were three couples um, in a Bradley method class, mm-hmm. which was, I think it's like husband led birthing or something like that. Um, and we'd meet with these three couples in this one woman's um, apartment in San Francisco once a week. And she would, you know, teach the husbands how to support us during various parts of the birthing process. They were like our coach. Yeah. Um, but the Bradley That's method awesome. also had like, a specific eating plan okay you know like you you need to eat this much protein um like the bradley method did. is that want, to assist you during the birth? just to prepare for everything everything about the method was how do you prepare your body for optimal birth like okay. one of the things was you don't ever sit on the couch when you're pregnant oh. because <laughs> you know because you want to train your pelvis to sustain the weight right okay. so you're supposed to squat and watch tv and I literally, like, I was so focused on following those rules. Like, I didn't sit on the couch the whole time. I literally would oh sit there and, like, watch TV. Like, I would sit like this, you know, like, because that's how. And
0: what about your knees? They were fine.
1: And, I mean, and I was super active while I was pregnant. Like, I was doing yoga three times a week. I okay. was, I, at the time I was doing what I guess now is kind of like hit training. I don't know. I was working oh, with yeah. this trainer and, I mean, I was lifting weights and I was, like, Five Days a week, it was super. I mean, till the end, I was super active, and I think that um, played a big part in right. helping me too. And when I moved here, I was doing prenatal, prenatal yoga at Golden Bridge. And I mean, I just it was really important to like just focus Keep on working. prepping my body, yeah, yeah. To yeah. like, <laughs> we hired a doula.
0: Okay, so did you hire a doula when you moved back to LA, or yeah,
1: every so we're so it was
0: really uh, last minute,
1: everything we had to find new doctors, a pediatrician, do everything, in last minute, so we went with. Um, midwives at UCLA so they have a midwifery practice where they were more supportive of a unmedicated childbirth Mm -hmm. experience I mean that doesn't mean that it didn't happen sometimes too um but they were super aligned with kind of our wishes for the process and our doula was amazing I would say especially the first time you have to have a doula yeah because she knows and you don't know yeah you just don't know like I remember like going into labor and my mom calls me. She's like, when are you going to the hospital? I'm like, I don't know, like maybe three o'clock afternoon. We didn't go till like three in the morning because my doula was like, you're not ready to go to the hospital. She knew that like I couldn't go to the hospital. I felt like I should. Yeah. But she knew better that I wasn't far enough along. And even at 3 a.m. when we got there, I can't believe I remember this. I was only four millimeters. Oh, okay. Centimeters, centimeters. centimeters. Yeah. yeah, I forget these things four <laughs> centimeters. But I thought I was like right out of baby. Yeah, but like if I had gone 12 hours earlier, mm-hmm. they would have induced me. They, you know, like there would have been all this kind of series of events that lead right. to c sections. And again, like no judgment at all, just for me, it was so important to have that experience to nurse my children to have a vaginal birth. Like I was, I was just like, it was not negotiable.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's really good that you knew what you wanted. And obviously people say, you know, birth plans, they don't always go as expected or they usually don't. But, um, I think it probably helped that you were so committed to all of those other,
1: like things that you were doing on a day-to-day basis leading up to it. And it was so hard. I mean, let's not diminish that. Like there was a point where I'm like, all right, give me the drugs. Yeah. And Steve's like, no, you told me when you said this. The answer is no, and then I'm yelling at him. And the doula's like, "Do you guys want to talk about this between contractions?" I'm Like, yeah, maybe we should. That's a good idea. Um, it was. And is and, this in, when you were still at home? Or no, it's by the time we went to the hospital. Okay. Um, you know, I think, I think this is important. Like, the difference between my birth experience with Lucas and Alex was, even though I was focused on having a unmedicated childbirth both times with Lucas, I fought against the pain whereas by the time I got around to Alex I just like leaned into it Mm -hmm. so I remember our nanny being home while I was in labor with Alex and she's like I cannot believe you're in labor I just was sitting there silent quiet breathing through it she's like this is not what I see on tv I'm like no yeah because you you can either just like I think like all Challenges in life you either like lean into it or you fight against it either way you got to get through it right of course so it's just a it's, it's just it's just a shift in perspective on how I that's such good advice I, I yeah. like tackle those I mean you still like I joke like you still have to climb Mount Everest and either you do it really fast or really slow but you got to get there yeah um the but, first one was very hard <laughs> <laughs> it was very hard and long
0: yeah. And long, but worth it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but
1: worth it. Um, obviously, I mean,
0: you decided to do that the second time, right? Too, so,
1: actually, the second time was a little scarier because I knew.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The first time I didn't know what it was going to be like. Right. So, I think I had a little bit more anxiety before I went into labor because I'm like, oh my God, oh, i got to do that again. Yeah. Um, and it was so, <laughs> I mean, it was easier because of my mindset, but also it was faster. Mm hmm. And, I, I mean, I literally got to the hospital two hours before Alex was born.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's also because, like, the doula knew? or So this is a good story. Now? So we hired the same doula,
1: but she was stuck in a birth, and she had to send a backup doula oh that we'd never met before. And it was this woman. She was like this, like, she's like an angel. It's crazy. Her name was Atusa. I've never seen her again. I. It's like she came and then she disappeared. Yeah. And, she, <laughs> like, the second she walked into my house, I was like, it's
0: gonna be okay. Aww, do you nice. know what I mean?
1: I like it's so hard to explain. I was like, it was meant to be for you to be here with right, us, right? That's it, it's, amazing. It like crazy. Um, and we only spent like six hours together because by the time she got there, like it moved so much more quickly than with the first doula where we spent like 20 hours together, right? Um, but yeah, it was like she was there, she was magical, and then she disappeared. I don't know, it's like it's really hard to explain. That's amazing, yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, so then coming home, having now two, how, um, how many years apart are they? Two, two years? Two, 25
1: months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's
0: with like me and my sister. Um, what did you do to like, to take care of yourself after that? Or how was it like bouncing oh, back? Cause I know it's very hard. You can't compare it to, I've heard that like women who do have all that medication or especially obviously with the C-section, that's extreme surgery, the recovery process is much harder. Like my cousin said she did two drug-free births and she was like, I bounce back so quickly in terms of just like feeling. <clears throat> yeah.
1: I mean, so, um, I had my placenta pills made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, which Steve <laughs> joked were like my happy pills. Uh-huh. And it, I mean, it worked for me. I mean, believe it or don't like, right. It, it worked for me. Um, I would say, having Lucas was more jarring because mm-hmm. I'm like a super active person. I have a lot going on. And suddenly like I wasn't in control and um, it's a good lesson. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I, I didn't, I didn't leave the house for a long time. And I was, I would say, um, I couldn't figure out how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so now I have this kid that I love, but like, how's, how does this, how does life work? Mm-hmm. Um, And I remember my friend, Rebecca Resnick, who um, had a boy like 10 weeks ahead of me, like forced me out of the house. She was like, come to this prenatal, to to this mommy and me yoga class in the Valley. And I was like, no, I can't, I can't put him in the car and drive over the hill. Yeah. Like, are are you, you, how am I going to do, what if he cries? What if he needs something? Like, I I couldn't, it was too overwhelming for me, but I was so grateful to her for like pushy like she kind of held my hand through right. getting me out of the house um which I think speaks to the importance of like finding your your tribe in those early days um 100%, I joined yeah. a mommy and me class my friend Alicia and I you know Steve used to joke she was my wife because we were like going through the same thing at the same time and she lived in the neighborhood and we were like constantly walking the kids together texting all what's what's Ella doing what's Lucas doing it was like yeah That was such an important support Mm -hmm. that, like, like I don't think you can do it without that. Otherwise, it's so isolating. Yeah, it's because you're home.
0: I mean, like with the baby by yourself, especially. I mean, if your partner is going to work, then you know it's
1: it's hard, dude. Yeah, you
0: can definitely (laughs) go stir crazy. But getting those, having those people
1: like get you out of the house and it's so important. Yeah, right. And then you know you kind of pay it forward. But I think what happens is you the stages of. um, Parenthood are so short at that age that Mm -hmm. you almost like you really need to have somebody who's in the same stage as you because even if your babies are six months apart, you're dealing with different issues and you're just like you know what I don't remember what happened when they were three months old. It has to be like a very like narrow age gap. Yeah,
0: I um, it's funny. I have my nephew is four is like 14 months old now and i just saw my friend's baby my friend's baby who's six months old and i was like i cannot even believe that he used to be this small i don't even remember that and it's not my neither of my kids but it's just so crazy to see the difference too like he's walking she's just starting to crawl and it's just so so different it's it's, (laughs) completely different different. humans Yeah. yeah Um, and then I'm sure you had, like, a lot of unsolicited advice coming your way. Was there, like, yeah. anything that was just like, I don't need this?
1: I, You know, I didn't really listen to anybody. I don't know. Like, I was very much – I had every book on the planet. Right. I, I'm one of those people that's like, okay, let me, like, do my research. Mm-hmm. And then I would kind of pick different pieces of different things that I thought worked for us as parents, totally, you know? Yeah, I think that's and so I would say I definitely leaned toward the neurotic side on the like clean, no chemical. Like I made all their baby food. Yeah. I like was, it's very important to me yeah. to make sure that it wasn't just, just the childbirth. It was like. Their toys were wooden. Yeah. I didn't like things that made that had too many like noises and sounds and buttons that were you know, like I really wanted them to have like I don't know maybe maybe in my mind like a better not that I had a bad childhood experience but like you know I was born in Russia and there was you know everybody had like you know their government issued toy it was a toy it was a communist right it was just like a different experience yeah totally Um, so I just want like what I what I would say. I did differently with Alex. I don't want to say I, would re- I regret this, but um, I just didn't know any better. I wanted to control everything. So like if they were, spo- if Lucas was supposed to, have, supposed to have three naps a day, okay, they had to be at eight, 11 and two. And if he didn't nap on the schedule, I'd get frustrated that I couldn't achieve this like perception of a perfect schedule. And I wish I would have like let that go more and enjoyed that time. Mm-hmm. But I think that was the way that I stayed sane.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to have that kind of set. Schedule. but
1: I mean it doesn't work
0: but then with Alex were you
1: I it was different with Alex because at that point we had a nanny mm-hmm. um who was like again also like this angel godsend <laughs> that just I mean to the, she's like my sister mm-hmm. Lucas walked her down the aisle at her wedding oh, like yeah, I mean nice. she lives in Connecticut now but she was with us for four years um and yeah so like I had a nanny Lucas had started going to preschool a little it I had a little bit more support like the mm-hmm. first year that Lucas was uh, alive <laughs> I, I I didn't have a nanny Steve was working a lot like I didn't have like daytime. I mean my parents helped my dad would come over every day and help me oh, give amazing. him a bath you know like I I was very lucky to have my family here but um yeah yeah I mean that it was easier because I had the support but it was also hard. like the first year that they were that Alex was born I kind of not jokingly say it's like the hardest year of my life because Lucas did not like Alex. Oh yeah. Like he, he was just like, who is this other kid mm-hmm. and why is he here? <laughs> and I couldn't leave them in a room together. Lucas would just like lash out at him. Like, and so that year was
0: rough. Yeah. My, um, it's a really funny story. My cousins are, I think three or four years <clears throat> apart. And so my cousin Andrew was born he was in the crib, like, sleeping, and my Aunt Bunny walked in on my cousin and his sister holding a hammer, standing over the oh crib. Oh, my God. And she was just like, what are you doing? And she turns around, and she goes, I'm fixing something.
1: Oh, <laughs> my God.
0: I'm like, thank God my aunt walked in at that moment, because, I mean, I don't know what she would have actually done, but... It's so funny to hear those stories of siblings just like hating it. For me, I was just so happy that I had little babies that I, they were like, "They're my babies. These are mine. They're my how, real life dolls." How? how um, Melissa age? and I are twenty for, like two
1: years. But you remember that? Like you remember that? No, my mom told me oh, this, mom that I was just it. so yeah. happy There's to a have girl.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and then D- and Danielle and I are four years apart, so I was still pretty young.
1: So you don't obviously. you don't remember I ever not remember. having them around.
0: No. Yeah. I don't remember that of cool. time in my
1: life. Anymore. I remember not having Daniel around. Yeah. <laughs> Those were horrible days. Um,
0: um, was he born here? Yeah. Okay. So would you say your first generation?
1: I'm not because I was my kids are first generation. Your kids are. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, which is crazy. Yeah. So, um, in terms of like having that difference of growing up and, you know, like them growing up in LA and you grew up in Russia.
1: Well, I grew up here. I moved here when I was two. Oh,
0: okay. But I feel like, yeah, I mean, I grew
1: up here, but I would say like, I grew up in like, you know, a immigrant, you know, poor community. Right. I mean, my parents came here with, I don't know, $400 in their pocket and we lived in an apartment with two bedroom apartment with my grandparents. My parents. I mean, they're like, I would say like the American dream. I mean, right, they came right. here with nothing. And, um, you know, I think their biggest accomplishment is obviously me and Daniel and to mm-hmm. see the success that we've um, achieved kind of due to their sacrifices. Like I think about like being 30 years old and leaving everything behind moving to another country with no money really not knowing anybody and just like do trying to figure English, it out like not no speaking the language yeah or... like that takes a lot of courage oh, yeah. to do that and I, and even and at a time again like this was over how many years, like almost 40 years ago, like there wasn't the internet, there wasn't access to information. Like it's a little bit easier to do it now. I think Mm -hmm. if you're conscious about your choice to move, Um, not like if you're a refugee or something, but if you're making this decision, like I'm going to move, it's, it's a little bit easier. You can learn the language, you can access things back then. Like they just, they just left. Right. It's crazy.
0: That's amazing. Yeah.
1: I wouldn't, I, yeah. I mean, I don't (laughs) think I have the courage to do that
0: what is your mom when you were doing the drug free births and all of that? Did she do
1: that or was she, she did? Cause I don't think they had drugs back then. Oh my God. But okay, so. Russia also had like, a real, like, like husbands aren't allowed in the delivery room. Right. It's no, like the 50s. Parent, it's, it's like the fifties. Yeah. Like literally my dad would tell stories. Like he was, he wasn't even in the hospital. He was standing outside on the street waiting for like, you know, one of the nurses who happened to be my mom's cousin to like call down and tell him I was born. And, You know, my mom says she's had a very horrible birth experience with me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they, I wouldn't come out. Who who knows? Like, again, she hasn't been super specific. I just know it was very bad. Like they were like pushing on her stomach to force me, like just crazy things that they would never do anymore, which I think is why she was traumatized from having another kid. Like. And that's why Daniel and I are so far apart. Right, right. Like it, it was always like I can't do that again. I mean, it was it was pretty traumatic. That's totally fair. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Yeah, and it's sterile. And there's and again, she was lucky that one of the nurses was her cousin. But other than that, you're just like you're taken into a very like, you know, m- m- sterile hospitalized type of environment to birth. Yeah, which is just no,
0: I can't horrible. imagine. Just I would feel really helpless and scared in that situation, especially because it's the opposite of the Bradley method, right? The husband's not even in the hospital, let alone there with you advocating for you, and that's like the scary part too. Even when your husband was saying, like you told me when you said you wanted the drugs, I would say no. You know, having those people there to support you through that when you are so
1: vulnerable
0: um, is so important. So
1: important. Like I literally remember like because my birth with Lucas was really long at some point like the, the doula would say Steve why don't you go like rest for a little bit and as soon as he wasn't with me where's Steve where is he and they're like he's resting like, I need him <laughs> <laughs> oh that's really it's very, sweet yeah though. like I wouldn't let him rest like But at the same time, you'll laugh at this. I remember, like, I also, like, worked until, like, the last minute with Lucas. I was literally, like, working between contractions. Oh, my God. I was baking muffins to take to the hospital (laughs) between contractions when they first started. Because it was, like, well, not only every couple minutes. Like, I can bake muffins, whatever. Um, And those muffins. You just, like, pause while you're stirring. Yeah. But the muffins were actually very valuable because after I gave birth, I was, like, oh, my God, I'm so hungry. And yeah. I had these homemade muffins. Oh, so I was that's like, nice. I don't want, I'm like, I don't want the crummy hospital food, of No, course. definitely not. Because I'm cuckoo like that. But, <laughs> well, I don't yeah, think anyone fun. wants the hospital food. Yeah, but, um, memory lane.
0: Yeah. Um, so what is it like raising boys in, like, 2018? It's a totally different world now, I feel like, with the Me Too movement and everything happening. Like, how do you guys, I guess, just, like, raise boys in 2018? Yeah. yeah
1: um, know. You know, so I think... You have to have the honest conversations about mm-hmm. what's happening in the world and how um, perceptions of women are changing. Mm-hmm. And um, we talk about it a lot. And my kids, I think, are fortunate to have grown up with a mom that is a professional, totally, and yeah, I really their perspective that too. is mm-hmm. that women can do anything that men can do, of course. and. We, I mean we talk about it a lot. Like whenever there's an opportunity to make a point of, you know, somebody made a decision that wasn't, you know, either correctly based biased towards like gender or race or like we just we openly talk about it and they recognize that it's not okay to discriminate based on those things. And it's not like this like you know, don't do it's not like this these fierce discussions. It's of just course, like kind yeah. of interwoven into kind of our, our everyday lives. And I, I love to tell the story because my dad is very conservative and traditional, and Alex, who's eight, likes to go get his nails painted with me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think he just likes to spend time with me, mm-hmm. and we go get massages and get our nails painted. And my dad um, says to Alex, "Well, only girls wear nail polish." Oh. And Alex, eight years old, said, "Dada, you're being sexist, and you're judging me, and that's not okay." Oh
0: my! God. And I'm
1: like, "All right, we're good. My work here is done. Good, good. good. <laughs> that's a you know, perfect response." His, yeah, he's just like who who says that doesn't make sense like the fact that at 8 years old he recognizes that like that's a ridiculous thing to say yeah. is is great and and also they're exposed like they have um you know transgender i would say person in Alice's Sunday school class and you know, he doesn't think that's strange. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, well, Lucy, well, it's a boy, but it's a girl, but whatever. Like there's no like judgment around it Mm -hmm. or they have, you know, plenty of friends who have same sex parents. And again, like it's not something that I I, I guess they're so exposed to all of these things that it seems like there's no judgment. It's all completely normal as it should be.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it would be hard because it's obviously working into the conversation very organically because they are exposed to it too, which is great. Yeah, um, We're also in
1: L.A., right, where yeah. it's 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 common, right? right? I course. mean, and we're, I would say, a more accepting society in Los Angeles of different types of people. If we lived in Kansas or Oklahoma or something, maybe it would yeah. be a little bit more difficult.
0: Yeah, that like, yeah, I, w- I just wonder how parents... Or if they, I mean, maybe parents in those areas aren't as inclined to have those conversations, but it would be interesting to just, like, how do they organically work that into their kids' well, lives? And I think it
1: depends on your community and mm-hmm. the level of acceptance and tolerance within mm-hmm. your community and the people you surround yourself with. And, you know, there's there's pros and cons, right? Like, we tend to surround ourselves with like-minded people, which mm-hmm. is great because then, you know, we can all ensure that our kids are tolerant and accepting But then what happens when they inevitably interact with somebody who doesn't have that level of tolerance? Like, how do you, like, bridge that gap and not be so divided? Which, I don't know the answer, but that's part of our issue in our country. Is like, one side doesn't understand the other, um, and, you know neither sides they're not bad people it's just like their perspective yeah
0: it always blows my mind because at the end of the day we all want the same things right we all want like our kids to be happy and healthy and safe and like to have a roof over our head and and to have food and like we're all just human right and it's just crazy that some people hate other humans that just aren't exactly like them I don't get it
1: I yeah, really don't.
0: I mean, and I was fortunate enough too to be raised by parents who who made a point of like really teaching me compassion and understanding and and putting in that effort. But of course, I was also raised in L.A. I was exposed to a lot of it, not as much as I think now, but yeah, um, but <clears> yeah, <throat> it was. It's a very different different world now and I think also with social media and just access to information I would think it may be a little bit easier to grow up exposed to all these different because when you want Instagram I mean such young kids have Instagram now too yeah the discovery page
1: just shows you everyone every type of person under the sun yeah it's funny Alex <laughs> said to me the other day when can I get a phone I'm like when you're 13 like, yeah I was 13 yeah I I I I'm not into giving my kids access to yeah. technology earlier than necessary. We, um, you know, we try to manage the screen time yeah. pretty diligently. Like we have a no screen time Monday through Thursday rule. period, nothing, no TV, no video games, no phones, like nothing. Um, nice. and I think when you set those boundaries, mm-hmm. um, a, I find the kids are happier without the access to the screen time. Um, And B, they find other creative ways to entertain themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I know it's like a a battle, I think, for all parents. But um, I think setting those boundaries and sticking to them is really important. I see a lot of parents who just give up because it's so hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll give you an example. Alex recently, he was playing Fortnite, which is like, I don't know. All the kids play it socially. Like, Mm -hmm. all the kids play it, so it's important to him. Lucas doesn't play... And I was seeing like a shift in his kind of personality, and I was like, "I was like, you know what? I I think maybe the video games are affecting him." Like, we're going to go on a video game freeze for for a month, and he was like, "Okay," like he rationally understood that maybe there was a connection there, and he agreed to wow. not play for a month, and That's not amazing. not only not play but not watch any YouTube videos about it because it's hard. Like when you limit the screen time. During the week, like on the weekends, they're like, I want to do everything. Right. But I was like, okay, well, not only am I going to limit it Monday through Thursday, we're going to limit what you can access on the weekends. Right. And, um, I, I, I've seen a shift in his behavior. And we talk about Since it. then? Yeah.
0: Since you gave the Since freeze. We, Yeah. And nice. it's, I
1: told him it's going till December and which is tomorrow. And actually he said to me this week, I can't wait till Saturday. I was like, Why is it? It's December. <laughs> and I was like, Well, you know, maybe we need to prolong this because I think it's it's working. And so I just think like an honest dialogue, because they get it, like, hey, we don't want you to do this because this is how you interpret it, right? Yeah. Hey, this is how you behave when you're exposed to this. And like, we've just always talked to them like like adults, Yeah. Like we're just like, we're not going to like sugarcoat or give you a BS reason. Like you want to know why I'm going to tell you exactly why.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's great. The honesty for sure. I mean, I mean it right. helps them understand it too and and be more reflective, right? Of, of their own behavior and I'm more aware of how those shifts are happening. Because sometimes I feel like it, we're just not mindful of what we're doing it's, or well, how things are changing. But it's good too that you're aware of it. You know, that you're obviously around him enough to, like, see this change. And that's very obvious. I mean, Jose's son plays Fortnite, and he was playing more violent video games. They got rid of all the violent video games. Um, Fortnite isn't as violent, but it is still violent. Yeah. Um, But he was starting to get pretty anxious. Yeah. And, like, so they were just, yeah, him and his ex were just like, we're, t- like, no more violent video games. This is too much, you know. And it's just... I think so many visuals coming Mm -hmm. at them and their brain is still growing and developing. And I think that that seriously impacts that growth. A hundred percent.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wish I could get rid of it altogether. I wish I could throw (laughs) my phone away. I mean, I know, you know, and I think kind of the key to what you just said is that one of the things I'm probably most proud of is that I'm able to kind of be a consistent presence Mm -hmm. in the kids lives. Yeah. While, working. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I spoke at this like business LA business journal, like women's forum earlier this year. And one of the things I talked about is when I was negotiating, um, joining tender Grains, I said to the founder, I was like, um, I'm going to do a great job. But I need to be home at 5:30 every day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I'll work later. If there's work to do, I'll come in at 7am. I need to be home at 5:30. to me. Like that's non-negotiable. And I think women tend to not want to ask for things in fear of being perceived as like weak or, oh, maybe you're not really into this job. And I was, I went into it very much like I'm going to do a great job, but I'm also not going to sacrifice raising my children for a company. Mm -hmm.
0: No, I think that's great. I think that shows them too. I mean, I've heard that that employers should, if they don't love hiring moms because moms are very efficient with their time, right? Yeah. Like you guys know how to, get everything, done. Get, yeah, to get everything done because you're managing a little business like in your home and then at work. So um, I think that's great going in and knowing what you want. I mean, what's the worst that they can say is no. And then you're just like, okay, this isn't a right fit for me. You know, like we can be afraid of that, but I think it's important to stick to that and what's important to you. I feel the same way about work. I mean, I was at a <clears> job <throat> when I first moved to New York that was just I, I would walk into the office every day and I wouldn't know when I was going to leave. That was kind of the light, like the culture. Yeah. It was like when the boss goes home and that was very unknown every day yeah. when that would be. So, and then I, when I transitioned to this other job where it was very set, my hours were set and it was five, five 30 every day. I was like, I felt so much more at ease. I had a work life balance. I like knew that I had like a full night when I got home to make dinner, go to
1: the gym if I want. See I wouldn't friends. say I always had work life balance. <laughs> um, but but I was at least home you're at not. You home. Yeah, was,
0: <laughs> I was home at the critical that's time. That's true. We always are connected to our email, right? It's like never,
1: it's hard to escape, but well, I don't think you ever really have work life, but I think inherently you're always out of balance. Yeah. Like it's never a balance. Like sometimes, You're giving work too much and you're not giving family enough. Sometimes you're giving family enough. You're not giving your friends enough. I mean, there's always like, there's all these people that Mm -hmm. require your time and it's hard to give everybody everything they need and yourself.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's true. Balance, balance is uh, elusive. I don't think it ever quite happens, but we try.
0: We strive for it. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you so much. I want to ask you three final questions that I'm going to ask everyone. Okay. So the first one is what mantra or words do you try to, or like to live by?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, I feel like this sounds cliche, but like, just, just do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't, don't hesitate. Life is short. Um, And really just like, go for what you want. Don't wait for permission. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I think a lot of people and a lot of girls that I, that I mentor, I feel like when I tell them you can do something suddenly they're like oh yeah I can give yourself permission just like just go for it
0: I love that yeah my mom has always been really good about telling us like you can do anything you can get this job you can and I think eventually Mm -hmm. you just believe it
1: yourself right you don't need to hear it yeah like last night we had a we had a happy hour with work and um, our CEO Mm -hmm. who's also a woman we were telling this whole group we're like listen like you can be whatever you want to be. So, like I said, to one of the girls was like, "What do you want to be?" She's like, um, "I was like, do you want to be the CFO one day?" I was like, "She's like, yeah." I'm like, "Okay, so say it. What do you want to be?" She's like, "I want to be the CFO." I was like, "Okay, so you're going to be like yeah. that's it. Like it you, you can only be what you decide to be. Right? You can't be what you don't decide you want to be. 100%. So it's just like decide and then work towards it. Yeah. I don't know it sounds. I don't no, know.
0: it's hard. It's just I think hard. Easier said than done. Right? It is. But totally, once you put it into practice.
1: I think over time it does get easier. But also having a support network of women Mm -hmm. friends who help you believe that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to come to that conclusion on your own. And if you're surrounded by people who have that mindset, it helps you have that. I mean, there's,
0: yeah, it's important. Um, And then, you know, we all know it takes a village to raise kids. Yeah. What do you really value in the community you've built um, for Lucas and Alex?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, it does take a village. I mean, we're fortunate to have my family that right, participates so nice. very actively. Last night I was coming home from work. It was 530 and my boss texted me, come to happy hour. I called my dad. Hey, can you come over and watch the kids? And he was over in half an hour and I could go out. Like yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Um. I would also say our community at school. Um. I love my kids' school. And, you know, I would say hit my kids' friends, parents, and I, like, we take care of each other. Hey, there's a day off. Can I take your son? Can you take my son? Like we just support each other. And that's I think really nice. that's, you can't do it otherwise.
0: Um, and you don't always find that in school friends, right? No, like, you don't. Sometimes it's not that easy, but that's really nice. Well, yeah, that I, I think
1: that. again, like I'm fortunate enough that my kids go to private school and we were able to pick. And for those that, that can do that, even in public school, like finding a school where you, it's your people, mm-hmm. not just your kids, people, but your people. Cause mm-hmm. if you connect to the parents, you support one another and it's, we need each other.
0: And I think you can also feel better too about who their kids are, right? If you yeah. know the parents and you like them, you know the kind of kid that they're raising too that's around your kid. I, I
1: mean, I told, I mean, yes, I'm friends with <laughs> all my kids' best friends, I'm friends with their parents. That's really nice. Yeah. And it, because I do think like a child is a reflection mm-hmm. of the parenting <laughs> experience. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, if you meet an asshole kid, chances are there's, there's parenting issues involved there. (laughs) Not always, but yeah, chances are.
0: Um, and then what like qualities you most admire and hope to instill in Alex and Lucas, or maybe they already are showing that since they're eight and 10. Oh gosh.
1: Um, you know, I want them to first and foremost, just like be kind people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's probably what we're lacking most in this world is like kindness and compassion. Um, and I want them to, To not be focused on, like, um, material things. Mm -hmm. I think we're in this society where, to your point earlier, you're bombarded with imagery and this perception of the importance of... Like, need, need, need. Yeah, Yeah. and and, and I actually think, you know... (laughs) to a fault. Lucas is so focused on, and we've exposed them a lot to what goes on in the world and um, income inequality. We talk about a lot. So like his birthday comes around and he's like, I don't want anything. I have everything I need. Like oh, I'm the only kid who doesn't want anything so nice. because he realized like he, he understands how fortunate we are that's relative really nice. to the rest yeah. of the world. And like, I think it just comes down to having those conversations and not feeling like we have to shield them from the realities of the world. Cause then they, they appreciate it, mm-hmm. um, and then taking care of one another. I mean, I think like I'm super lucky to have a really close relationship with Daniel, and um, that's that's something I hope that the boys uh, mm-hmm. have together as they grow up. And it's different because they're so close in age, and Daniel and I weren't. Um, but like, he's one of the most important people to me, and, course, and it's yeah. like it's it that bond is uh, is special, and I see I see it in the boys, and I'm I'm just like excited for them to have that yeah in their that's so nice yeah
0: I think that is really true about siblings having that
1: it's so lucky it's
0: the best yeah well thank you so much Thanks, it so was fun. so wonderful <laughs> um I will leave in the podcast notes like stuff about tender greens and everything but is there anything else like for people to find you oh my gosh I'm not really good
1: at all the self-promotion <laughs> crazy stuff but um <laughs> I do, I am on Instagram. Okay. What, what? What? I'll tell you what my. Um. I'm at just at Lino Connor. Okay. It. Cool. Perfect. So we'll I don't post a lot. Show. I. You know. I mean. I like to try to keep my my private life private. Yeah. I'm not super active on social media. And, um. I'm okay with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah.